game, it requires three distinct deals, not only the no-hit part, but having the great command and then also having uh, a, a defense behind you to not make any errors. And so uh, I, I think that with that part of it, it is, uh, again, a special occurrence 24 times in, in Major League history. I've got the list of perfect games here, and I guess we'll go ahead and go over them. The first few are so long ago that I don't even know how to comprehend any of it. Uh, 1880. <laughs> in June of 1880, we had two in a week. Lee Richmond and John Montgomery uh, were the first two to ever throw a perfect game. Uh and I again, I, the Providence Grays was where John Montgomery was pitching, and the Worcester Worcesters. I'm not uh, yep. for Lee Richmond, uh, if I got that right. The time they kept time on that game. You know how long that game took? I'm gonna say less than an hour and a half. Great guess. One hour twenty six minutes. Nice. Wow. Almost dead on. And so that was the, how baseball was in the 1880s. Then we went to 1904. Cy Young may have heard of him. Again, hour 25. Nice. Uh, that's a long lunch for some people. <laughs> uh, Addy Joss or Yoss? Sure. On October the 2nd, 1908, hour 32. The Cleveland Naps were the team. Spelled Naps. N-A-P-S. Okay. Take I didn't know nap. it was like K-N-A-P-S. I was like talking about some noun I've never heard of. So. But nap like sleep. Some people take longer naps than an hour and a half. Charlie Robertson, 1922, Chicago White Sox versus the Detroit Tigers. Are we? When did the live ball era start? Are we? We're getting there because okay. there's a big gap from 1922 to 1956. Don Larson, that's a big name for the Yankees against the Brooklyn Dodgers, caught by Yogi Berra, two hours and six minutes. Jim Bunning, he's a legend of the game, I believe, from Philadelphia. Against the Metropolitans, two hours, 19 minutes. That was in 1964. The next year, Sandy Koufax, absolutely Hall of Famer. And an hour, 43. He got it done quickly against the Cubs. Catfish Hunter, <laughs> usually like mine fried, but his in two and a half hours against the Minnesota Twins for the Oakland Athletics. That was in May of 1968. Then May of 1981, Lynn Barker. That was the 10th perfect game. He threw that one for the Indians against the Blue Jays. 1984, Mike Witt. I'll be honest, don't know that name. California Angels against the Texas Rangers, hour 49. Tom Browning, also not, not too familiar with, September of 1988. And an hour 51 minutes against the Dodgers. Dennis Martinez, definitely know who that is, July of 1991 for the Expos against the Los Angeles Dodgers. 1994, Kenny Rogers, definitely know who that is, Texas Rangers, Against the Angels, two hours, eight minutes. Pudge Rodriguez caught that one. David Wells for the Yankees against the Twins in May of 1998. That was the 15th perfect game. Then the next perfect game was also a New York Yankee. It was David Cohn in July of 1999, so a year later. That was against the Expos. And that was with a rain delay, by the way. That was a, a fun cliff note. That had a 33-minute wow. rain delay. That one's tough. Caught by Joe Girardi. Hey. May of uh, 2004, cover your ears, Braves fans. Randy Johnson against the Atlanta Braves in Turner Field, two hours, 13 minutes. July of 2009, Mark Burley. That was a fa uh, that was a, very familiar with that one. That was a great catch in center field, I remember, in that one to maintain perfection. That was against the Tampa Bay Rays, two hours and three minutes. Dallas Braden, who currently uh, commentates for the Oakland Athletics. 
in May of 2010 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Two hours, seven minutes. Also in 2010, Doc Halliday, Roy Halliday, uh, one of the great pitchers of this generation against the then Florida Marlins, 1-0, two hours, 13 minutes. The 21st perfect game by Philip Umber. There it is. Household name. <laughs> April of 2012 against the Seattle Mariners. June of 2012, Matt Kane, he was a solid pitcher. 10 nothing over the Astros. Two and a half hours, though, because of the 10 runs. King Felix, his Mariners got perfected earlier in the year, so he went and perfected the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been perfected multiple times in their short history. That was the 23rd perfect game, two hours, 22 minutes. That was the most recent perfect game until Domingo Herman last night in June of 2023, 11-0 against the A's. What year was the Philip Umber perfect game? 2012. There were three perfect games in 2012. I, I just looked it up. Philip Umber, Philip Umber only pitched one more year. He only pitched in 2013. <laughs> Tremendous. And it was for the, the Astros, and then he's he has not pitched in the major league since then. Did you Do you have the overall numbers on him? Yeah. yeah what, what's his career like ERA? A, yeah, I was about to say, isn't his career ERA around five? Eight years. Or high in the, fours? In the, in the uh, major leagues. He pitched for the, the Mets for two, the Twins for two, the Royals for one, the White Sox for two, and the Astros for one. He was 16-23 and 23 in the win-loss column. <laughs> That's good for 410 I, I fi- if you were looking for percentage. I figured out one of the wins, though. Uh, he had a career 531 ERA. Yeah, there it wow. is. Yeah. With Low fives. Uh, 371 innings pitched and really 272 career strikeouts. Man. What's again. Domingo Herman's career ERA? Because didn't he give up 10 runs in his last start? And seven in the start this? before that. He has had his moments. I think it's probably low fours career ERA for Domingo. He's had some years though. It might it wouldn't shock me if it's high threes, but I'm gonna go like low like four point one ish range. Domingo Armand has been in the league six years now, all for the Yankees. He is thirty one and twenty six overall with a four forty career ERA okay. featuring five hundred and seven strikeouts. So again, not destined for the Hall of Fame. Not horrible, but better than number. His name Very will be low. somewhere in that hall, yes. but it won't well, be. Well, true. It won't be on a plaque with his face yes, on it. Yes, destined for the hall <laughs> in a different capacity. Also, did I read like the Rays have been perfected like four times? I think so. <laughs> is that is that? Let me go back to that. That was uh, one for Felix Hernandez doing it in 2012. You had uh, you had a Marlins that you had Dallas Braden do it to the Rays. That's two. Burley did it to Rays. That's three. Is there any more Rays in there? Maybe they were nah, not when they were Del Rays. So just three times in a short amount of time. That's why it felt like a lot. But uh, yeah, again, it you just never know. It, you'd love to say, yeah, you kind of have to do this and this and this to be able to throw a perfect game. No, not really. It, it's just kind of at random, but it's very a very rare random. And so Domingo Herman accomplishing that last night. We're gonna go to our first timeout. Of the show today. When we come back, we'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. So we got a full bank of callers. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. do 
don't want to call into the show, send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. We're still in an air-conditioned studio. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it makes that 20 to 25 degrees cooler than it is outside. And if we complain, we'll just step outside for five minutes. Yep. But I don't want to. <laughs> five seconds, maybe. <laughs> five seconds. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us. On the Auburn Bank phone line today, first we go to the Auburn Bank phone line, and we've got Jackson from Montgomery on the Auburn Bank phone line. Jackson, how are you doing today? Doing well, gentlemen. Good afternoon, War Eagle. War Eagle. Uh, first things first, I would like to thank Jeff from Columbus yesterday. Shared some encouraging words and commended me, and I greatly appreciate that. Uh, also, first things first, I hope you guys are staying cool because it is a cooker out tonight and it's going to be tomorrow. So hopefully, you know, the heat wave is, is here. So hopefully, you know, we stay out of it. Yeah, no, uh, we are, we're, we're certainly trying to. <laughs> uh, I want to start off with the uh, Auburn quarterback room. Uh, we see with Hugh Freeze's history, he's had quarterbacks that can basically be a dual threat, can run, throw it on the run, like a Malik Willis at Liberty, uh, Chad Kelly at Ole Miss, and even Bo Wallace could run it while he was at Ole Miss and throw it. Uh, in your opinion, do you see Robbie Ashford excelling in this offense, or do you see the Michigan State transfer taking over the program? I, I don't know personally about the Michigan State quarterback. I don't know if he's a dual threat. I know he's had some success up there in Michigan State. And what are your thoughts of the Hugh Freeze offensive scheme for the upcoming season? Yeah, I think with, with Peyton Thorne, uh, the thing I noticed about him is, like just about anyone that plays the, the position now, like can he move? Yes, but if you compare him to most quarterbacks out there, he's still going to come out on the slower end of them. I think the more impressive thing about him is, is that he's got good footwork in the pocket. He's able to maneuver the pocket by more time and not just kind of bail out of it just when things start to, to look a little less than ideal. So I think he has good footwork, but I think it's more relevant for him just buying time pa- as a passer not to – give himself a lot of running opportunities. So I, I think ultimately you're not going to see much design run stuff uh, for him. I, I think that with uh, Ashford, obviously everyone did make those Malik Willis comparisons, and that's the route that Auburn would have gone if they never landed a transfer portal quarterback. They would have put their hope in, okay, if Willis was developed, maybe Ashford's passing can be developed because obviously he's got a, a unique skill because he's such a great runner. He's so fast and I think when you saw him on design runs in particular, he was really good at finding the right hole uh, to cut into. So that was attractive. However, I, I think that 
given that Auburn should have a really good running back room, I think they should be able to run the football whether they have a great running quarterback or not. So you really need to focus on that passing game. And and although, as you mentioned, you know, Bo Wallace and Chad Kelly had the running element, again, it was not something they did a lot of. I mean, they maybe had a couple design runs a game, but it was not like they were going to pound them 10 or 15 times with design runs. I still think the best quality about those guys was them as a passer. So I feel pretty good about Thorne, even though he is a mainly pass guy. I think Freeze has worked with both kind of quarterbacks before, and and given that they've brought in a whole new cast of wide receivers, I think their aim is to be a good passing team this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the thing about Peyton Thorne, no, he's not a runner like Robbie Ashford. Very few are. Uh, but you look, I, th- I think uh, – um, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer had a, a, a film room on Peyton Thorne running, uh, running the ball. On designed runs at Michigan State over his two years as a starter, he averaged something close to five and a half yards on designed runs, so he absolutely can do it. Like Ryan said, he's, he's athletic enough to move around in the pocket to buy time, and, and when he needs to take off, he has the ability to do so. No, he's not going to just break the game with his legs, but he's certainly capable of, of doing it when he needs to do it. I agree. I think balance attack is probably the best plan of action for offensive scheme. Uh, switching gears to the NBA, James Harden has his option. I believe he has to pick it up today or he'll be in a free agent, about $33 million. Uh, in your opinion, do you see him picking up that option staying in Philly or do you see him trying free agency and seeing another franchise? Yeah, I think for Harden – I don't want to like peer pressure the dude into doing this, but like the the teams that are out there uh, that actually have cap space are just teams that are just not in the same level of competition right now as Philadelphia. I mean, you're talking. I, I know Houston's been floated out there a lot, and it'd be the return home. And boy, Rockets fans love James Harden, but like any situation you go to with cap, uh, even one of the better ones like Utah, like are you really? Comp- in, in a that competitive mode to be on the level that Philadelphia is, where Philly is one of the two or three best teams in the East, I feel like, even with the Miami resurgence in the postseason, I think you walk into next year thinking about the Celtics, the Bucks, and then the 76ers, and then maybe some Cavaliers or something like that. But I, I think that it would be kind of unbelievable for a guy that has had trouble in the playoffs and and on the biggest stage to then say, you know what, I want no part of the playoffs. I want no part of trying to uh, mend kind of my uh, kind of my image around the league. I don't care. I just want to shoot twenty five times, make my money, and, and go to the club. Like I, I, I know there's some of that in there with him, but I, I think he accepts his player option. You know, maybe they're working on a long term deal, so maybe he gets get a, a three or four year deal that's pretty close to the max or the max in philly i, I know that daryl morey has has also loved harden dating back to the houston days so i think he ends in philadelphia i really do uh just because it would be sh- such a such a move for a guy that can get paid no matter where he's going i mean he's going to get paid to a great degree in philly to then just kind of say you know what i do only care about location i'm good with not ever playing in the finals other than that one okc year I'm good with it. I'm just going to shoot my shots and, and play in a city I like. That would be a surprising move for someone that's had such the postseason resume that he has. Right. Same with NBA. Um, if you had to start your franchise with anybody next season, like completely cleared, you could choose anybody, who would you build your franchise around and why? 
So if I, how how many years do I have to? Are you saying like a one year t- situation, or like I'm just I'm starting franchise and we're going ten, twenty years? We're just going going off into the future. Let's say just for the NBA. Let's say you got three years. You can pick any players. You got three years. Who's going to be your centerpiece? Okay, I I still I'll still answer Jokic. If you had given me just one year, just one year, I might have gone Curry still. And I and I and and Giannis is under consideration too. But I, I think that any time beyond just a year or two, you've got to look at uh, the the durability Jokic has had. You know, the only thing with him is a few years ago, people felt he was a little out of shape. But but that's just kind of how he looks. He still kind of looks like he's gassed, but he's really not when you when you watch him play now. And so he's had no real injury concerns. He scores at every level. He makes people around him better. And that's the guys I'm looking for. If I'm starting a team and I don't know that I necessarily have a bunch of good players around him, who are the guys in the league that make people better? I think Giannis makes people better to a degree, but I don't think it's like this elite, like, oh my gosh, you know, Giannis is just, you just play with Giannis and all of a sudden you're the best version of yourself and, and there's, you, you change the dynamics of your career. I think Curry's a guy where that usually has happened for. I think you, I think Golden State has time and time again had guys come in there on mid-level deals or or short-term deals and, and played the best version of basketball with Golden State as opposed to other teams. So I think Curry's in the conversation. But I think Jokic does that incredibly well. I mean, Aaron Gordon played his best basketball, his most efficient basketball with Denver. I think they even got Porter in a role that he was comfortable with. Bruce Brown had his best year of his career. Uh, and so I, I think that Jokic is the answer because, uh, you know, I, I just think that with the longevity he's going to have and with the ability to make people better, if I start with him, I know that I even if I make a couple mistakes with some other roster building stuff, Jokic is going to help me cover those up because he's going to make everyone around him better. I agree. I feel like that's the reason why he probably should have been a three-time MVP. Uh, I believe it's either Jokic or Giannis. But uh, you can argue if Embiid stays healthy, he can be right up there. But in history, once it comes to playoff time, he usually goes down and something ends up happening. Yeah, and I think with Embiid, the, the deal is 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 you've got to assess again, and maybe some of it's because we've not seen him healthy consecutively in the postseason, but again, it goes back to that question, is he actively making the people around him better? He's a dominant force. He puts up in gaudy numbers, and, and he's really great at the things that he does. But, like, is Tobias Harris better because he's playing with Joel Embiid? You know, is, is Tyrese Maxey becoming a great player because of Joel Embiid, or is he just becoming a good young player because he's active with the ball and can shoot off the dribble and, and, and do a bunch of stuff kind of that doesn't have anything to do with Embiid? So that would be where I would worry if I'm just starting a team. You know, I like the things that Embiid does, obviously. The durability is, is a, an important deal. If my star player is not guaranteed to make it through a postseason run, that's a, that's a big problem. But also, again, I think that Jokic and Embiid are in a different tier just in terms of making people better. I think they're in the same tier in, in terms of talent and, and their production. But um, just the way that, that Jokic can make people better around with his passing, 
Uh, and with the attention that he draws, yes, Embiid has the attention part of it. But again, the passing aspect's fine. It's not like it's below average for a big guy. But I mean, Jokic is sitting out there taking the ball up the court and and doing all these things with it. Whereas Embiid's a more traditional guy in terms of yes, he'll shoot some threes, but he's still going to play back to the basket, and that's going to be his main shtick most of the time. Uh, making others better is probably. <laughs> the better end of uh, building a program. Uh, switching gears to the NFL, the uh, San Francisco 49ers have literally probably been the best team on both sides of the ball, even in their special team, a dominant force. But for their quarterback position, they've struggled. Why do you think that one particular team cannot find a franchise quarterback for that absolutely stout roster? I know last year injuries bugged them, but throughout the Three years they stayed with Garoppolo, but they ended up getting rid of him. Uh, and and free agency, Aaron Rodgers thought about it. And honestly, if Aaron Rodgers went there, I think it'd be game over. Why do you think the Niners struggle to get a franchise quarterback? Well, I, I think that part of it's talent evaluation, and they, I mean, probably overvalued Garoppolo a little bit to start off with. I mean, I know that he. Uh, did a pretty good job uh, subbing for, for Brady for a little while there for a few games. And, again, that kind of thing makes you attractive. Like, oh, you're going to fit into this great system. That's that's going to bode well. But it actually just hasn't bode that well for people. I mean, Jacoby Brissett's been a nice quarterback in the league for a long time, but also he's not ever been like, oh, you know, we're, we're starting the year with Jacoby Brissett. This is exactly what we want to have happen here. And, you know, that's not – that's not really been the case. So the, even though, yes, there's a system, and yes, those guys that subbed in for Brady, uh, even dating back to Matt Castle, did a pretty good job doing that. For what I mean, just going outside of that, they've just turned into just okay quarterbacks. They're not bad by any means, but they're just not elevating teams. They're, they're more of guys that, that, that manage a situation more so than make it better. And so I think they misevaluated that. With the Trey Lance bit, I really don't even know if he's a bust yet because we saw him for like two games and then he got hurt. And even though I didn't love Lance out of college, like I don't think that we know enough about him to really know. Uh, however, the injury part was concerning. And I think they kind of were on to something with Brock Purdy. Uh, I don't know if he's a franchise guy or not because he also <laughs> got hurt in the most important moment. But I, I think that they have had some guys that kind of fall into the middle of the road in, in terms of talent pool. And Garoppolo just stayed in the middle. And these other guys that they're trying to develop have not been healthy enough for them to to have the opportunity to do that. So I, I, I wouldn't write it off just yet for them long term with Purdy or Lance, but uh, I think it's just evaluation part of it. And, and they've gone with some situations that could have gone one of either two ways. And they, to be fair, they didn't go poorly because I, I don't think you know Garoppolo ending up in the Super Bowl is a, is a is a bad thing. But obviously, they did not end up being franchise guys, so they they've just taken some swings on guys that maybe were a little lesser talented or, or just somewhere in the middle of the league, and they've just not been able to get them into that uh, top tier status. Okay, and uh, another question about the Niners: Do you see? Granted, Kyle Shanahan's done a phenomenal job winning football, but he hasn't made it to the ball but once and arguably probably cost him that Super Bowl with throwing three interceptions at the end of the game. Not three interceptions, three incompletions. And, of course, when you call passes, you're not anticipating them being incomplete, but it gave the Kansas City Chiefs three free timeouts and able to keep their timeouts on offense, went down the score. 
But do you see the 49ers moving on from Shanahan, let's say, two to three years down the road if they are not successful with their current roster? I think they have a track record of doing that, so I think the answer is yes. I mean, if you look at Jim Harbaugh, like I know that he had a bigger person personality and that can factor in, but Harbaugh was a successful NFL coach overall. I mean, the record was tremendous. He had one less than seller year, and then he was out of there. Uh, so I think if they, with, with all the resources they've got invested into that defense and, and they got McCaffrey and they just got Samuel a new deal and, and, and all this, I, I think that there is some pressure on them to win. Now, again, the quarterback part of it is like an easy scapegoat because if they just have to keep rolling out different quarterbacks all year long because they have more health issues, then, I mean, it's kind of hard to blame the coach for that. Maybe you, maybe you look at the training staff or something, but – uh, I, I think that as with any team that's nearing the top, they'll look into it. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other situations that they just let the coach keep going and going and going despite not winning a Super Bowl. I mean, to a degree, Andy Reid got a long time in Philly with that, uh, and then they eventually had to part ways. But then that was, I think, 12, 13 years, something in Philly. So uh, it could go on for a few more years. I don't expect it just to be, you know, if they go 10 and 7 or 9 and 8 this year, they, they try to move on. But. As with the growing landscape of the pressure of win now, absolutely, if they have a, a, a consistent regression towards a wild card type of team, then yeah, that would that they could make a change. Then I can see it. And if anything, they can bump them down to just a coordinator. But I, I don't understand. I don't think a head coach would go down to a coordinator. Yeah, no. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, my my final question. I thought of this just a little gauge of the room. If the Olympics had American football, what country do you think would compete with America the most and why? Ooh. Oh, that's uh, a really good question. A, I, they would get still get pretty badly beaten. Uh, yeah. I, B, Australia? Someone that plays rugby? Yeah. Like, Australian it, rules football? Yeah, well, Aussie I'll, rules football is, I mean, it's nowhere close to football, but it's, yeah, I mean, some of the same principles. Canada, just because they have the CFL? Is that not allowed for an answer? All of their players are American, though, or most the, of them. The, but, um, yeah, some of them are, yeah. Uh, the uh, answer to this question comes from the IFAF, which is the International Federation of American Football. They had championships from 1999 to 2015. The next one's scheduled for 2025, by the way. Okay. Let's go. Um, the U.S. has only won it three times. Oh. Well, they don't play their top players. So. Japan won it twice. That's shocking to me. I would have never. Japan has also been runner-up twice, and they finished in third place once. So Japan's Japan. up there. Japan's up there. And then also you've got Canada that's finished once as a runner-up. Mexico has twice finished as runner-up. And then Germany's finished in third place twice. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I, that's not so Japan. I know Germans love football. I, I do know that like German, like American football is big in Germany. Um, and I, I think like. Part of me is like ah, some Scandinavian country because everyone over there is like six foot eight. But that, that's where my mind immediately goes. Mm. Uh, I was thinking either Canada because they can get American coaching and they kind of run Canadian Football League or New Zealand for the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. That's, that's the one that I thought. Nice. Yeah, I was thinking the rugby route when, or Australian rules football with Australia and that sort of thing. But I don't know. Apparently Japan can, can do it. <laughs> 
Apparently so. But all right, fellas, I appreciate y'all taking my call at War Eagle always. War Eagle Jackson, appreciate your phone call. That is Jackson from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line now, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show today, James from Montgomery. It's James from Montgomery. James, how are you doing today? Oh, good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. I know that y'all were talking about, like, the um, – like if if there was like a a sport that was going to be in the Olympics, I think it would be. I I, I would probably see uh, football being added to the Olympics. I, I would love to see that actually happen. I mean, I would love to see that as well because I, I think the U.S. would still dominate in it, and since it would be a uh, a summer sport, I mean, I I don't see why the NFL players couldn't participate if they wanted to. Now the problem would be is that there wouldn't be a lot in it for them other than just play for the country type deal because there's so much money in the league that they make. Uh, you know, if they get hurt, and certainly you can get season-ending injuries in any any form of football, then what does that do to your NFL contract and that sort of thing? So uh, there is that part of it where I don't necessarily, can't necessarily guarantee a bunch of the NFL guys would do it. But if they did do it, the United States should should be able to dominate that. Yes, that's so, because I've been watching the Olympics for so many, many years. And uh, with the Olympics coming around uh, this summer uh, for Paris, France, I would like to see, you know, when, when the Olympics actually, you know, grows in, in, you know, larger and that adds some more sports to the Olympics roster uh, of sports, I would like to see this sport. Um, this sport would, would make a, a, a huge turnout for the Olympics, spike ball. I would love to see that, actually, as a, a as an Olympic sport as well. Spike ball. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a really uh, fun, competitive uh, sport that I, that I would like to see actually coming into the Olympics as well. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know. I'm sure they, they review it every cycle, so they, they might consider... Uh, some new sports they haven't considered before, but uh, yeah, we'll just see. Yes, as well. And then with the NBA uh, free agency, I'm looking at uh, some teams that might need help. And um, one team on my radar would be uh, where do you think that James Harden will go if he's not going to play with the Philadelphia 76ers next next season? Where do you think? Uh, would he actually end up, you know, with a free agent uh, teller cap that he has on him? Yeah, I think uh, if it was not the Sixers, I, I don't see why it wouldn't be Houston uh, just to go back home and uh, or go back to where he spent so much of his career. But again, I, I don't. It w- it would seem like such a cop out move to to go from a championship where the, or from a situation where they're not far from a championship to then go to a bunch of young players that there's no way they would really be competitive towards a championship. I mean, they might be able to be a play-in team and, and that sort of stuff. But, I, again, it would it would be a very weird move for somebody that, that doesn't have the postseason part of it in his career. But if it So if it was not Philly, I think it would be Houston, but I still feel confident it would be Philly. Yes, as well, because I know um, I, I probably see – I'll probably see James Harden go with the Houston – Rockets as well because I think that's where he actually started his basketball career, and you know I think it will be time for him to actually go back and uh, you know go back in time and actually you know make 
make the Houston Rockets actually win another make make the Houston Rockets win an NBA Finals uh, championship game as well because I think the Houston Rockets they really do need that uh, championship uh, caliber with uh, James Harden as well. Yeah, uh, again, I, I think they would have a, a long way to go even with him, but uh, really, I, I don't want to see that because I want to see those young Houston guys. I want to see them all develop and. I don't know if Harden was going to be the best stylistically for them to be able to do that. They already have some guys that have the ball a lot and need to figure out how to play a little bit better together, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yes, that's well. And then with uh, LeBron James, I've been hearing a lot about his son, Bronny James, actually trying to make it into the NBA League because I know he's um, right now he's playing for uh, Southern California uh, Trojan. So I think, you know, they shouldn't. Uh, they shouldn't get his hopes up too high because he's still in college. So it will be – I'll just have to say that will be a no on um, Bronny James. So he'll just have to stay in college for, uh, you know, for the remaining of his four years. And then once he decides to graduate out of college, then he'll take his talents to the NBA. So I think that will be a, a no on that to actually see uh, LeBron James and Bronny James uh, actually playing again, uh, playing with each other as well with the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, I think I mean there is a scenario where Bronny is disappointing, and if he goes pro early, then then he wouldn't be a high draft pick for sure. But I, I think the goal for him is still to to leave as soon as possible. I mean that's what the James family has been trying to to pull off, and I know LeBron would w- love to play with him in the NBA if possible. So. I mean, I agree. If he's just a disaster at USC, then it's kind of hard to justify going pro. But, uh, you know, if he's any good at all, if he's got pro prospects, then I, I don't see him staying in college for too long. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're if he's a good uh, pro player, I mean, don't the NBA look at, like, their college highlights and uh, their college stats as well? Because, I mean, most of the guys that I've seen, they do get – undrafted from you know being an undrafted free agent from you know a, a college or a university just to play in the in the pros so i'm not quite sure on that as well yeah i mean I, again there are yeah i he's not going to want to be undrafted so if he I, I i don't know if a team would would spend a second round pick on him even if he really was not a good pro prospect or uh, how they would evaluate him if he has a bad season, but I, I do feel pretty strongly that if he is good and if there is uh, some real uh, hopes for him to be in the league, then he he will get drafted because there's also a chance that LeBron will want to play with him at no matter where he goes. So the team that drafts him could be getting a year or two of LeBron at the end of his career as well. Yes, yeah, as well, and then with the NFL season wrap, uh, well, actually the. Uh, mini camps will be wrapping up sometime real soon because I know football season is right around the corner in August for the for the uh, 2023 opening uh, day for the NFL with uh, the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. I'm actually looking at some uh, free agents that I might actually be looking at for my fantasy draft this year and uh, seeing uh, who 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 I would be actually picking for this year's draft as well. So who would be some guys that I would like to put on my draft for, uh, you know, on my roster this year as well from Auburn or Georgia or Florida as well? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I was gonna gonna ask you who you were targeting, but uh, with with Auburn guys again, there's uh, there's always gonna be Tank Bigsby, who will be a rookie in Jacksonville this year. I I think he'll get an opportunity. I, I wouldn't pick him in the first round or anything like that, but I do think he'll get an opportunity. And then you got Darius Slayton, still wide receiver. Uh, that he is a uh, a quality wide receiver with uh, big playability and has really been um, surprisingly good for the Giants. Really, I mean he's he's carved out a nice pro career, so he'd be an option for you. And then uh, Georgia wise, uh, you know I don't know if we'll see more out of George Pickens this year, uh, and uh, certainly he's he's got potential. And uh, Florida. I mean, Anthony Richardson of uh, Indianapolis, I think he's going to get an opportunity pretty quickly and no idea how it's going to go. I, I really, really don't. I think he'll be a good runner uh, in the NFL, so get your fantasy points that way, uh, that way. But really don't know how the Colts will be or, or, or what he'll be like as a passer in the league. Yeah, because I'm actually looking at right now on my radar, I'm looking at Tank Bixby. I'm looking at C.J. Utama uh, that plays with uh, Aaron Rodgers. I'm looking at um, uh, Anderson Carlson that plays for the Green Bay Packers as a great kicker, so I'm gonna actually put him in there, and then I'm gonna put his brother uh, Daniel Carlson from the Raiders. I don't know if he's, I don't know if it's gonna be kind of a brother type thing with um, Daniel Carlson and um, Anderson Carlson when they actually meet up and uh, play against each other as well. So I think that's gonna be. Um, I, I think with those two as, as um, kickers, I think that's going to be like a kicking uh, rivalry as well. So you're hoping if they ever play each other that they're just kicking a bunch of field goals. No one's scoring touchdowns, just just the Carlson brothers kicking a lot of field goals. Yes, as well, because I know they, they've really um, done a lot, you know, in Auburn. Uh, Daniel Carlson done uh, an amazing an amazing job with Auburn. I've actually seen him in person when he played with uh, Cam Newton and uh, many other guys in the 2010 uh, season. And Anderson Carlson, um, he's really he's he's a really amazing uh, kicker as well. Yeah, Daniel was a few years after Cam, but uh, but definitely had a long kicking career uh, with Auburn, a very successful kicking career and. And Anders had some more struggles than, than Daniel did, but still obviously getting an opportunity with the Packers. Hopefully he does end up winning their kicking job, and then they'd both be in the league. Yes, as well. And then I'm looking at um, – I'm going to be looking at the um, selection show for the All-Star game uh, tonight and uh, seeing some great players that are going to be playing in this year's All-Star game, which is going to be on uh, July the 11th. So that's going to be a really good thing. And – um, before the All-Star game, they're going to be doing the Home Run Derby, the T-Mobile Home Run Derby. So this will be my fourth time watching it as well. So it's going to be from uh, Seattle. So it's going to be um, an amazing event as well, seeing some of, seeing some of these Major League Baseball stars uh, actually hitting uh, moonshots as well. Who would you want to see in the Home Run Derby? Um, I will actually say... Mm, I'll, I'll probably see like Brandon, Brandon Lau and Nathan Lau, you know, start off, you know, the home run derby as well. And I'll probably see, uh, Aaron Judge and maybe a couple of Atlanta players at, as well. Someone like Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah, like, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. and, um, 
it's it's like the whole entire list of uh, Atlanta players that I actually would like to see as well. Yeah, Matt Olson would be another one. Yeah, I uh, I look uh, I look forward to the home run derby each and every year. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it is a, a great time to watch all those guys hit all these long home runs. You got any final thoughts for us today, James? Um, I don't have any final thoughts for you all uh, for today, but maybe tomorrow I'll probably get like some uh, random trivia, like maybe. Um, like 50s, 1950s, 1960s uh, muscle cars as well. I, I'll be honest with you, James. I don't know really a whole lot about uh, 1950s and 60s muscle cars. Maybe maybe uh, Cam or Brant can uh, come up with something there for you. I don't know, but uh, we'll see about that. If not, do you have a, a secondary option for trivia? Um, I would probably say... Um, I'll probably think of something, and I'll just pass it along on Twitter. All right, sounds great. Well, we appreciate the phone call today, James. All right, War Eagle. War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, Got a couple questions that hour. We're about out of time for this hour. Uh, Flies by sometimes. About James Harden. And here's door number three for you, that Harden is picking up his player option. However, with the intent to ask for a trade away from Philadelphia. So a one-year situation for him for now, the $35.6 million option, and then the team is going to work on trade options. I, I, I don't have enough time to tell you the sides to this and how I, I'm confused by this. Um, I thought that a lot of the reason Harden was not loving his time in Philly was Doc Rivers related, and Doc Rivers is no longer the head coach there. And for Philly, with Embiid, I mean, clearly they're not going to want to do a hard rebuild yet, so they're going to want some compensation that keeps them competitive. However, if you're a James, wanting James Harden, you're not wanting James Harden to be a part of a rebuild, so if you're the team trying to receive James Harden, you're thinking that you're in uh, a competitive standpoint right now too. So I, I don't really know the Harden teams that would be involved in a trade there, so maybe I have to cook that up in my brain little bit later today but uh but yeah so that's it for our number one when we come back more from the auburn bank phone line also uh try to get to a sports call report card as we examine the 2023 auburn football offseason you're listening to the thursday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. 
And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two starting right now is Sports Call Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, and Brooks Childers with you here on this Thursday. Let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line to start hour number two at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing today? Hey, folks. Thanks for uh, my phone call. Um, would you be interested in some cola chup on your hot dogs? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, only if you go to these four Major League Baseball uh, uh, venues, and uh, only on July the 4th. Apparently, uh, Pepsi has decided to put out a uh, condiment for use on hot dogs only. And uh, it was actually developed in coordination with the Culinary Institute of America, also known as uh, CIA. Uh, apparently, uh, these uh, well, this condiment will be uh, available in uh, four major league baseball venues, and they are Chase Field in Phoenix, Yankee Stadium, of course, Target Field in Minneapolis, and Comerica Park in Detroit. Now, I thought this because I've read the ingredients. Of what this would taste like, because you know you guys always do like food and uh, beverage stuff. But what I thought was really odd and surprisingly to me is, you know, I see quite often uh, in my neck of the woods here Pepsi uh, distributors' uh, trucks, and the logo emblazoned on all these trucks says Pepsi, a Southern tradition. And yet, they did not see fit to have one of the major league baseball teams that would have this. A particular condiment at any Major League Baseball teams in Southern states, especially how about the Atlanta Braves? What do you guys make of that? Uh, they probably did it in connection with teams that have partnerships with Pepsi. I was, I was about to say, I know that Coke is the distributor for the, the Braves, Braves yeah. so they definitely couldn't do it. And also, oh, okay. uh, and also, uh, do you know where Pepsi is headquartered? Uh, no, I do not. It's in New York. New York? Yep. No, don't say it. Well, then how do they have emblazoned on their trucks a Southern tradition? Marketing. <laughs> I, th- I, think it, it, I think it actually originally started in, like, right. North Carolina. It did. but It then did start in the South. They've moved it, so it, it's not really a, a Southern anymore. Well, how about that? Say, Fridge, KB, if I, I didn't know it then, now I do. I, I was wondering, a Southern tradition, but yet no Southern Major League Baseball team uh, uh, parks were picked uh, for this particular uh, condiment. So anyway, I just thought that throw that in with you uh, to let you know about something that Pepsi decided to come up with. But it will not be available to the general public. Yeah. I would say Only that, at these four uh, venues. That's the bad thing is because, you know, you, you look at it and, you know, we're, we're a little biased because we have Coca-Cola as a sponsor here, but Coke, when they do new, you know, new drinks and stuff and new products, it's out there for everyone to do. All these Coca-Cola creations is out there for everyone. Pepsi does the thing where they're like, hey, here's a pancake syrup flavored uh, a drink, and only three people, we're going to give it to three people, and if you want, want, want it, you have to enter to win this contest, and maybe we'll send you a can. Yeah, and what I thought he was even odder, you know, uh, my wife, and so I ended up watching Food Network, you know, I, I've been educated that when they develop a company a product, it takes a lot of money. 
Yeah. And then they have to do focus groups to see, you know, how well they like it. So to only, it's only be served on July 4th, and that's it. I said, wow, they went to a lot of expense to make this product, and it's not even going to be available to the general public. I thought that's, that doesn't seem to be very cost-effective. But anyway, I'll throw that out at you. All right, uh, moving on, uh, guys. Uh, you already talked about the uh, no-hitter uh, by uh, the game. His name is German, is that right? Uh, yeah, the perfect game by Domingo Herman. Herman, okay. So it's not German. Well, it's, it's, spelled like it's spelled like German, but it is, yeah, it's spelled like German, not pronounced that way. Okay, well, thanks for educating me on that one. Uh, how old is he? Uh, late 20s, early, th- about 29, 30 years old. I think Brooks is double checking right 30 now. years old. Yeah, 30 years old. Okay. Uh, and was this due to his own skills or just outstanding defense? Uh, for uh, last night's game that he did this in. Well, I mean, when when you're when you throw a perfect game, it's it's all of it. I mean, it's only happened 24 times. So uh, he obviously pitched well. He did have nine strikeouts, one an inning, so that's solid. And he threw 99 pitches, so he was efficient. He threw strikes, but obviously you had to make some good plays behind him too. I mean, it's not not necessarily that you have to make incredible plays all the time. It's just you can't make an error. You know, you can't you can't uh, flub up any of the easier easier plays. So. Uh, you know, when it, when it's perfect, it, no hitter is more so just pitcher. But when it's a perfect game, it's it's everybody. Yeah, I just wondering how's he compared to the gentleman that we talked about a few days ago that uh, plays for the A's. It's going to be maybe you know half a million dollars worth. Oh, that plays for the Angels, Shohei Otani. Yeah, he's right. not even close to Otani. Yeah. Okay, has he has any no hitters? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on real quickly, guys. And I don't like to bring politics, and but this is sports related. Uh, you know, the affirmative action thing today with Supreme Court, uh, they said that uh, they broke precedent and they said that they ruled against it. And I was wondering, guys, uh, how that may may or not impact, uh, you know, colleges, especially maybe in the South, uh, especially uh, sports programs, especially uh, college football teams, because I went ahead and looked at it and said, well, what does it look like for Auburn? Do you happen to know what the percentage of blacks attending Auburn is by chance? Uh, I don't off the top of my head. I didn't either, so I looked it up. 7% enrollment. This is of 2022. And then I looked up, so what is the percentage of uh, actually uh, the black population in Alabama? And that is 27%. So that's quite a disparity. Uh, 84% uh, are white students uh, that attend Auburn. And so I was just wondering... I wonder how much of an impact this will have, you know, or not, you know, on uh, Africans being able uh, to make the grade and be able to play uh, at Auburn and any other uh, universities, especially in the South. Guys, you think it'll have any impact or no impact? I I really don't see how it would it would have a huge impact, especially for the sports side of things. I mean, that's not going to change who these teams are recruiting. Uh, it's not going to change who the the best athletes are and, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I I don't see it having an impact in that way, no. Okay. Well, I hope not. Um, I just was, was wondering how come we have such a low percentage of uh, blacks attending uh, Auburn. I don't know what it's like for Alabama or any other universities, but quite a low percentage. All right, moving on, guys. I'm going to eat some crow, a lot of crow, because I've always poo-pooed uh, NASCAR racing as really as a sport that you, you know, end up getting a crick in your neck. Well, if you want to read this full article, you're welcome. To, I, I encourage you to read it. It's uh, on the website called theconversation.com. This is a website that has articles written by experts in particular areas. 
uh, researchers, sci- uh, scientists, professors. Well, it says, think being an NASCAR driver isn't as physically demanding as other sports? Think again. Well, I did after reading this one. Uh, and some things that, that they did uh, that they found out was, uh, to me, just astounding. Uh, for, for one, is they uh, went ahead and put sensors on a number of uh, race car drivers and particularly NASCAR uh, race drivers. They wanted to see what kind of physical endurance does it require and uh, all kind of uh, uh, stressors uh, does it put on them. And I didn't know this. First, they do not have power steering in their car. Did you know that, guys? I I I thought that they did um, because I've heard of situations where um, the the drivers have lost power steering steering and and then it's become more difficult for them. So I I thought that they did. Okay, well, uh, according to this article written by this professor, uh, he's a uh, a physiologist uh, at the University of Florida. In fact, he says turning and braking require more force due to high speeds and unique engineering of the race cars. And then here's a quote by IndyCar driver Dario Franchitti. In a 2012 interview, he said the following, there's tremendous kickback to the steering wheel. Why? Because there's no power steering. So every movement of the wheel requires a lot of energy. You want to know how much energy it takes? He learned from the uh, testing that they did, the researchers, that it, uh, he gener- needed to generate 35 pounds of force just to steer the car. I mean, it can be more difficult to steer because I mean, it is there's a you're going so fast and you've got all this force. But no, he, I don't know why Dario Franchitti is saying that. I I've confirmed via multiple places. Absolutely, stock cars have power steel power steering. Well, that's what his, his quote says. No, there's no power steering. It takes 135 pounds of force to break the car. I mean, and sure, that's a lot. That's a lot of a, a force. Uh, so anyway, he compares it to uh, uh, other sports, and he says, imagine an NBA game being played outdoors, and there's no halftime, and there are no timeouts, no substitutions, and you got to wear a snowsuit, gloves, and ski masks. So that's what it's like uh, if you want to be a uh, NASCAR race driver. And I thought about that. He said the heat is unbelievable. It is. Because uh, you get heat, he says, from a lot of places, but you get it from the safety gear that they wore, uh, I didn't know they had to wear all this, guys. Maybe you do. Uh, they have to wear fireproof undershirt, underpants, a full-body fire suit, socks and driving shoes, gloves, and a full-face helmet with a closed eye shield. So you got all that going on you. And then you got the uh, heat that's coming from the exhaust, the car engine, the brakes, and the tires. And do you know what the cockpit temperature is in the summertime for these uh, race car drivers? We're going to take a guess. Uh, I think it's usually like 120, 130, something in there. Pretty darn close, Ryan. 135 degrees Fahrenheit is the typical uh, uh, temperature that they contend with inside of these cars. Yeah, it's it's rough. And I didn't know this. He said in this article that most race cars lack air conditioning. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they definitely they ha- they there's some of their suits have like built in. They're called cool suits, and they they. Are designed to try and, and get them some airflow and, and that sort of thing. But, like, for example, you know, how if you're on a really hot day, you might pour some water over your head or that sort of thing to try and cool you off. Like, you can't get water on yourself there because it's just actually going to start to, to heat up on you. 
and so it's, it's actually going to make you hotter. So there's certain ways that you have to go about trying to cool yourself when you're in those cars. Yeah, well, uh, the author of this article says that they use, uh, in order to combat the heat, they use um, uh, hoses that bring fresh air into the driver's helmets. Right. And cool shorts worn by the driver. They have an in-car drink system also. But he said the metabolic demands of auto racing are similar to playing basketball, soccer, or boxing on a hot summer day. Uh, and the, apparently the heart rates go up tremendously, and they have to do a lot of training uh, during the off season just to get ready uh, to, to contend with this. And you know they're going to do something special uh, this weekend, or maybe you didn't know, on July the 1st. Oh, yeah. There'll no, be I'm, a race yeah. in Chicago on the streets. How do they do that, guys? Yeah, they, uh, that's the first time NASCAR is doing the street race, and uh, they obviously have to – uh, plan with the city, kind of like how uh, Formula One or IndyCar would plan with the city about different about different street races and, and different streets. They've got to close not only for the track itself, but also for uh, the the ability to have have fans view and, and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a city planning type of deal along with uh, a NASCAR or with NASCAR, and it is a it's going to be very exciting. Again, the first time they they've done that, I'm looking forward to it. And it says that it hasn't been done. Uh, anything like this in over 60 years. So will this be televised? Oh, yeah. Every every race is, is televised. It's, uh, the the first, first half of the year is usually on Fox or, or FS1, and the second half of the season is usually on NBC or USA. So this one, on July the 1st in Chicago, uh, will it be on ESPN, or, or, what, or where shall I look for it? Uh, again, NBC or USA. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know which one it will be for this week. Last week it was NBC, so NBC or USA. Okay, all right. Uh, staying with uh, sports again, how about this letter that was sent to uh, the Aggies and other programs by the NCAA? Did you see that one? I caught it uh, a story by Tim Ham on uh, the Aggies uh, website. Uh, Monday it says here a report was uh, that the NCAA sent letters of clarification on NIL practices to its member schools, including Texas A&M. Uh, do you know anything about that, guys? I honestly, I have not. Uh, I've not seen that. Yeah, apparently, uh, they were. I love clarification. Means that uh, they clarified for them and other some other programs that uh, they were chastised by using uh, the new arrangement to a full advantage. They said by basically buying players uh, that they couldn't afford otherwise. So uh, anyway, uh, they were told that uh, the NIL deals were not intended to be used to incentivize. Uh, players to come to a particular university. So I didn't know if you guys were aware of this letter being sent to any and some other uh, colleges. Yeah, no, I, I really had not uh, read much about it. Yeah, it said here uh, that that's what the letter about. Now, interesting enough, uh, it also says here that uh, they must follow these NCAA rules, uh, even if they conflict with state laws. So... It says here that uh, Texan A&M uh, AD uh, said, in response to the NCAA uh, guidelines, said, quote, the state law is going to govern how we do business. State law will reign. Uh-oh. So who wins? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Again, I have to have to think about it from uh, both perspectives there. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – I don't, I don't know. The NCAA has not been very successful in – and policing or, or governing, doing much governing. So 
I don't know. I don't know what they'd be able to do in this situation. Yeah, what the letter ended was saying to A and M some other programs got the letter and said it was pointed out to them that the NIL was not intended to be used in quotes as a pay for play. Right. Right. So, yeah. I mean that's. Um, that's the issue everyone's dealing with, and obviously it's being treated like that. And uh, whether it goes to a letter to a specific school or not, I mean, it kind of we're all talking about it with that kind of language, and uh, it's 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 not uh, it's not exactly the the way they intended on going. But then again, when they don't don't put out a bunch of rules and regulations, then it's going to be done a bunch of different ways that that weren't intended. Yeah, they they can't they can't uh, unwind things and go back to where it was. All right, this person, ESPN's Adam Schefter. Last thing for us today, Steve, last thing. Sure. Um, Rodgers and some other players are going to be expected to uh, be suspended for the entire 2023 season. I saw that. That uh, that grows. There's been more and more people getting involved. Okay. And there's a 13-year-old girl that made history yesterday. Do you know about her? Uh, No, I don't. Australian skateboarder, Orisa True, Achieved something no woman or girl before has ever done. She landed a, two, a 720 in skateboarding in competition, which had never been done before. And it was actually invented by boarding legend Tony Hawk in 1985. It involves two full mid-air rotations. I saw the video clip. And he was there for the competition. And he hugged her and gave her um, all kinds of, you know, commendations. But uh, I don't know if you guys knew how difficult that was to do that. Apparently it's never been done before. Yep. Uh, by a female. Well, then that makes it inherently pretty difficult, and I know I can't skateboard, so I would not be capable of even close to that. Yeah, be close to ER for me. All right, guys, thank you for your time as always, and thanks for do, letting me do a lot of rambling today. So with that said, have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll do this again tomorrow. So until then, Warrior guys. War Eagle Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We need to thank our next time out on the show. Back with more sports call right after this. to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning sports call, Auburn. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here this afternoon. Hard to believe almost halfway through, really halfway through the show already uh, today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and catch up and get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports today. Kawhi Leonard turns 32, current Los Angeles Clipper. 
drafted 15th overall in the 2011 draft out of San Diego State. Go Tex! A two-time NBA champion. He's a five-time All-Star and three-time first-team All-NBA selection, three-time All-Defensive first-team. He's also a two-time Defensive Player of the Year, and he's also a two-time Finals MVP. His number 15 is retired by San Diego State. Kawhi Leonard turns 32 today. Is he the coolest nickname in the NBA? The Claw. The Claw. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> what? Are you, laugh. That's a, oh, okay. okay yeah, I see what you're doing. I, you're doing. Yeah. I think it was a. Pro, it was pre- after the championship pre- parade, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. Or I, no, it was before that, and then he ma- he made fun of himself at the championship parade. I think. Yeah, I think it was like a preseason presser, like uh, inter- introducing him to Toronto, or right? Something. Yeah. I don't know, and then just one of the weirdest robotic laughs, Kawhi Leonard. Thirds 32. I, I think the Clippers would like them to be a little more robotic and stay on the court mm-hmm. and be a little more healthy. Joe Johnson turns 42, former Atlanta Hawk, nicknamed ISO Joe, played for seven different teams. Johnson was a seven-time All-Star, selected 10th overall in the 2001 NBA draft out of Arkansas. Blue pig. During his te- time at Arkansas, SEC Rookie of the Year, made the SEC All-Freshman team, one of the 50 NBA players to score 20,000 points. Uh, or excuse me, one of 50 NBA players to score 20,000 points. Also, 5,000 rebounds, 5,000 assists in his career. Joe Johnson turns 42 today. Pedro Guerrero turned 67. Former professional basketball player, played 15 seasons. Excuse me, baseball player. I can read Major League Baseball from 1978 to 1992 with the Los Angeles Dodgers and St. Louis Cardinals. Five-time All-Star. A World Series champion and World Series MVP in 1981. Also won a Silver Slugger Award. He finished his career with over 200 home runs and 898 RBIs. Pedro Guerrero turns 67 today. And Carl Lawson turns 28, defensive end for the New York Jets. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals in the fourth round of the 2017 draft out of Auburn. Were Eagle. Were Eagle. Were. I said what I said. Were was. <laughs> During his time at Auburn, first-team All-American, first-team All-SEC. His best season came as a freshman where he had eight and a half sacks. He had 27 sacks throughout his career. Last season, uh, he had a uh, solid season with seven sacks. Carl Lawson turns 28. I had class with Carl Lawson. Oh, did you know? Yeah, it was... um... It was like a speech class. Not not like a speech class. It was like a, a public speaking class. There you go. Okay. We gave speeches in it. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> he gave a... How-to speech class. We, he, he gave a eulogy. Like one of our assignments was giving was either commend someone or give a eulogy. And he gave a eulogy for SpongeBob SquarePants. And it was quite literally one of the funniest things I, I've <laughs> ever heard. Carl, in, in the media I've seen from him, the way the team promoted him while he was at Auburn... Seems to be like one of the best personalities for an Auburn football player that I've seen. Like at least as far as what was projected. Like he he seems like a, a very lively dude. And it's his birthday today. He turns twenty eight. Those are the birthdays in sports. Carl Lawson twenty eight. Pedro Guerrero sixty seven. Joe Johnson forty two. And Kawhi Leonard thirty two. Yeah, it was good to see him come back from injury mm. last year with New York. He signed a pretty large free agent deal uh, coming in 2021 and I think tore the ACL and did not play at all in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And like I know that some people 
in the studio right now are kind of wincing because he's a Jet and yeah. someone's a Patriots fan and blah, blah, blah. I'm really blah, glad that he came back from his injury and he's able to play football again. Yes, I wish it was thank, not for the New York right. Jets. And that's fair. But, you know, we definitely wish him health. And if he wants to make some sacks, you wouldn't be opposed to him sacking Josh Allen. No. You wouldn't you know, be opposed to him sacking Tua, Tua Tagovailoa. No. You wouldn't be opposed. You know, if to he him wants to go rogue and hit Andrew, uh, Aaron Rodgers in minicamp too, like right. go ahead, <laughs> do it. You wouldn't be opposed to him sacking former Patriot quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Eh, yeah, sure. I mean, I kind of like Jimmy. I know. Are we going to go through every uh, game on the Jets' <laughs> schedule that's not the two against the Patriots and just be like, who's their quarterback again? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, you know, take out, uh, I don't know who. Um, I have no idea who the Jets play this year. Lamar Jackson. There you, you go. Know, take it. And, and again, I, Lamar you Jackson's go, tough to sack. You want to go rogue in, in minicamp here and and, <laughs> and take one. Give give one. Welcome welcome Aaron Rodgers to the Jets in style. You know, just just, just forget it. just forget that he plays for you now yeah. and take out his legs. He's in an orange jersey. <laughs> yeah, he could be with the Bengals. <laughs> He's in an orange jersey. That means hit him as hard as you can. Yeah, it doesn't mean non-contact or anything. <laughs> Can he hit the Patriots' backup quarterback in a preseason game if no. they played? No. Mm-hmm. Who no. is the Patriots' backup Bailey quarterback? Bailey Zappi needs to go. be protected okay. with his life. <laughs> okay, I knew you wouldn't go from sacking Mac, but just wanted this. I mean, Bailey gonna... Zappi, our hero. I feel like I feel like you would rather him be... sack Mac Jones than Bailey Zappi. I don't know. He's still. It's still my talk to him after three weeks. <laughs> yeah. See how Max yeah. is doing. A- the start of the ask week. me after we play the the Ravens or something. Three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger nine to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Next up, we've got Sam from Pell City. Sam, how are you doing today? Hey, um, I I just kind of wanted to ask a question like this, just kind of what what could have been about. Like why? Why when we fired Gus? Like why? Why didn't we just hire Hugh Freeze? Like what? Like what was the appeal of Brian Harson? Yeah, at that moment, Freeze had uh, was still a little too fresh off 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 the all the stuff that happened at Ole Miss. I think he was just kind of in the beginning of his uh, Liberty. Is that may, may have been his second year at Liberty? And and it's kind of one of those deals where. As with everyone that has something go wrong or, or do something bad uh, and, and have penalties for it, it's, it's a time thing. And the more time that elapses, the more comfortable usually parties get in, in bringing them back. And we see this a lot with, with guys that are at a major school and get into NCAA trouble or, or do something inappropriate. They usually get to coach again pretty soon, but they usually kind of have to work their way back up. I mean, they usually – are at a much smaller school and then kind of come back up. So I think it was a timing element. Obviously, in hindsight, Auburn would not redo the, the Brian Harson hire, and I'd be curious to see if they want, would have continued another year or two uh, with, with Malzahn. But uh, I, it was still – it was even though two years, again, is, is not a, a world of difference, that was Freeze's first job since Ole Miss, and so you needed to kind of see him be a little calmer for a few years and, and do some stuff there before he got back into a big job. Yeah, as far as the appeal of Harson, you, you look at his track record, what he did at Boise State and uh, all the, the great seasons that he got together at Boise, the idea was if you take a guy with limited resources who was doing all that and you give him more money, give him more power at a, a bigger school, maybe he can translate it into championship contention. Well, what, what didn't come to light was his, I, I don't want to call it lack of recruiting prowess, but lack of importance in recruiting. 
Um, I, I, I make this joke all the time. We don't know if Brian Harson was a good recruiter or not. He just didn't do it. So he may have been really good at it if he ever tried, uh, but he didn't. And uh, obviously that should have come up in the hiring process. Uh, and for whatever reason, it didn't. And uh, that's why he's not here anymore. Yeah. Um, and is it true, too, that the um, Jets are going to host hard knocks? Like, I was seeing some rumors about that. Yeah, I think to my knowledge, I think that that's going to be the team. I, I I read somewhere where the league was having trouble finding uh, another team, and uh, Hard Knocks just feel like. I mean, uh, I, I know that a lot of people are still interested in it, and there's usually some good stuff. But I feel like it's already kind of hit a peak, and now teams are kind of weary of of wanting to do it, and, and they've they've hit on maybe a third of the teams in the league by this point, and it feels like there's not maybe an increasing reason to be involved because obviously there's already so much exposure and yeah. s- some of these other, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. Sam appreciate the phone call. That is a uh, Sam from Pell city. I was just to continue. The point there was, I think some teams have gotten so, uh, such a desire to try and do it themselves with some of the behind the scenes access. Like yeah. I give you an example, I know that the the Buccaneers uh, have a, had a series the last couple of years called In the Current, and they were doing uh, yeah play off the I, I yeah, like it yeah. I like it uh, and they were they were doing some stuff behind the scenes with Brady and and this team as they progressed through the season it wasn't even just a preseason deal so I think some teams uh, are are getting more accustomed to trying to create their own media content and trying to make that a part of. Uh, viewer engagements and and so that they can sell that in another way. Can even though you think oh the shield the shield and its teams don't need more revenue streams, you're not going to say no to it if you can you can think of it. And so creative content wise, those positions are becoming uh, more of a big deal for these organizations, and they're thinking of ways to produce their own content. So they're kind of kind of in that way competing with uh with hard knocks and and that sort of thing so and also with like the the in-house stuff like what you you were talking about the bucks did you get a little bit more and i know you know you you get hard knocks you're not sending anything out there with you know without running it by the team first but you still get a little bit more control over the what narrative is thrown out there because you know you you could look over the footage and you could say yeah this is you know this is all good send it out but when you get into the editing room there's not you know the the hard knocks could be like oh well let's put you know these clips together and make it look like there's you know a little bit of strife here and, and there's not you know you may not want that portrayed on the uh outside of your own uh, your own facilities and so with these with uh, the the more in-house stuff you get a little bit more editorial control over what you send out there and what it looks like like you you know say x team comes in and you're you lose a starting quarterback in uh in mini camps or something or 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 training camps they go down with a knee injury well hard knocks is going to say oh no what's going to happen to the season the your own produced stuff can be like guys we got a great backup here and he's gonna he's gonna do so you know some great stuff with us and we're we're not gonna miss any strides so you can kind of control the narrative of whatever happens more more so than what with hard knocks and this would be a rare case i'd have to go back and and i've not had the channel was it showtime right comes on uh hard knocks or hbo uh, HBO. hbo i i i've not had that channel for really since I've moved out of my parents' house in college. So I, I, I've not really watched much of it since then, so I can't verify everything. But, you know, it also would stand a reason, 
if other teams watch that and they end up you end up cutting a guy from camp or something and sometimes I have definitely known of a couple guys where the general public was like oh I really like that guy and that sort of thing well what if another team likes that guy and then you cut him and now they know more about that guy because you were they yeah. were seeing him do a few drills and, and saw his personality and and the interviews and all that and maybe that leads to a roster spot for another guy it, it may not be a bad thing from our perspective it's like good for that guy you know he's going to get a second chance because of that but if the team you cut a guy and then uh, someone signs him partly because of what they saw with hard knocks and he ends up making the roster you'd be like wow it's like we made a trade we didn't ask for uh there so i don't know again it's worked for a long period of time it's not like this has been a failed experiment i think it's been a success but i also think that there are uh other ways that teams can can get the same type of stuff out there and as you said have even more control over i think hard knocks done a good job not paying anyone in bad light you know i don't think you've i again you guys correct me if if there's a situation like this but i don't think there's been a year where you've come out of hard knocks thinking man that team's just a bunch of buttholes and they just they <laughs> it, handle it, their people wrong it depends on how, it depends on who you listen to break down it because i i've i i've frequently listened to um uh national sports talk radios guys like colin cowherd they'll get on there and they will just berate the teams that are on hard knocks with how could you do this and this and how could you know this is you could tell this this team's not buttoned up by by what they show on here and it's like all right all right yeah, yeah I, well, yeah, okay. Well, that's that's fine, but again, I don't know if again, it's not reached my sphere. I'll say it that right. way. Right. I I I've watched Hard Knocks like replays. I don't think I've ever watched Hard Knocks. If, no, I know I have never watched Hard Knocks live cuz I don't have HBO. Uh but I feel like rarely are things as black and white as like, oh, this dude is evil. Everybody should hate him, you know, that kind of thing. Um I think Hard Knocks makes more heroes than it does villains. I, I, th- yeah. I think of of Bob Wiley, the uh, the offensive line coach for the Browns. He's not with the Browns anymore, but I mean everybody loved that guy after the Browns were on Hard Knocks. Right? The Hut Gut? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Love that. Um, but I I don't know. I feel like unfiltered access is about the worst thing you can get as a professional sports team. So I understand why people don't want to do it. Fair enough. I wish they would bring back Showtime's uh, All or Not All or Nothing. Uh, maybe it was All or Nothing that had the it was like Hard Knocks, but for colleges. That was so fun. Mm. Yeah, that they only did like three or four yeah. of those, right? They do it now. It's called Last Chance You. No, that's not the same. It's a little different. The, it's not it, it is a little different, yeah. but that's, we're gonna take our next break of the show. When we come back, we'll reveal Sports Call's Player of the Week a little bit later. Still got to get to a Sports Call report card on the 2023 Auburn football offseason. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Brooks Childress here with you on this Thursday. A few minutes left in hour number two. Again, we'll start the uh, Sports Call report card in hour number three. Also going to get to the player of the week in just a second, but guys, I want to get real quick thoughts from you. I haven't hit on this yet. The ACC-SEC challenge that was announced yesterday. We don't have to go deep dive in the other matchups, but just the Auburn-Virginia Tech bit of it, I know that I think the general consensus is the same. A bit disappointed. Seemed like there were better matchups to be had down the line. But, again, just your thoughts on on, uh, Auburn hosting Virginia Tech. Yeah, usually when you have things like this and people start complaining, it's, well, it's for, like, logistical reasons and you'd have to move around a bunch of stuff to make it – work and it's just easier to do it the way it is you have better storylines if you flip the two Virginia teams because Virginia is playing Texas A&M and Virginia Tech is playing Auburn if you flip that well you have a rematch of the 2019 Final Four in which you know Auburn should have won that game and and didn't because of the uncalled double dribble um and then you have uh Buzz Williams now coaching at Texas A&M who was the coach of Virginia Tech so you've got two very easy storylines if you just flip the two Virginia teams and it's kind of like, did ESPN just mess it up? Did someone just get it wrong and no one double-checked? I don't know. It's It seems very odd that those are the matchups when the very easy and very compelling storylines are right there. I, I think, you know, you, you could have had that, the Virginia versus Auburn and Virginia Tech versus um, – Texas A&M you could have flipped those and that would have been a great storyline I you know I I'm I'm all for it although you know the the thing is there's my argument against uh against it It is like yeah Auburn fans you want to get Virginia back you get them in in Neville Arena and say oh we got you back did you 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 know it's it's still you know you, you get the good feeling of beating Virginia but it's not for anything except for a regular season game i don't care it's it i want to beat virginia they beat you in in 2019 in 2019 in the final four though you beat them in a regular season they you know the the virginia fans are still like well you still didn't beat us for anything i i get the get the whole you know just want to beat beat them them forever and everything because of that i you know i i get the i just want to beat them but it's not for anything and and it it's it you know yeah, I, I, it, it would be a great storyline for both of those. I, you know, I'm going to go back to the opinion I had when it was the SEC Big 12 Challenge. I think that they should should just go on, you know, how teams finished the year before. I know you're you're probably going to land in somewhere where it would be uh, Kentucky versus North Carolina, Kentucky versus Duke on several years because that's you know they those blue blood pro- programs run each of their conferences. And they already kind of meet up on a pretty regular basis, but I still I, I still like the idea of matching the teams up of how they finish. Now, when you add Texas and Oklahoma here next year, you're not going to be able to have everybody participate because there's not enough ACC teams to counter the SEC teams. So you're going to go back to that. Hey, some guys have to sit out this year, not playing it because we don't have as many teams. Um, so you know, I, I think there's there's some intriguing matchups in this. I think also you and I, I know somebody. I think Ryan, you may have said it yesterday on the show. You could have done something that was to at least to kick this thing off, be a, a little bit more geographical, and maybe you know set up a, a Auburn versus you know an Auburn men versus uh, Clemson. I know the women are playing Clemson. You could have Auburn versus Clemson. You could have Auburn versus Georgia Tech. Uh, Auburn versus Florida State would have been fun. 
um, to get sort of a, you know, get the, get everybody excited about the, Hey, this is, you know, more, you know, these fan bases are kind of closer together. Maybe you'll get some fans to travel uh, a little bit closer, but um, I, I, I like it. I'm fine with uh, hosting Virginia tech. Um, I I think that it's, it's a good matchup. Uh, But if, you know, I was looking back at it, if we had had the, you know, the, teams that finish first it would be Miami and Alabama would be playing each other um Texas A&M would be playing Virginia which I think we got that didn't we yeah um but then Auburn would be matched up this year with Wake Forest and so you know there's several different ways you could do it I'm not mad uh I I think that it's you know it's going to be a fun series between these the the two conferences because you, you look at the ACC as one of those conferences that for a while has been the, the conference that has basically run college basketball. Um, and the SEC is a, is a conference that's, you know, we, we've talked about here in more recent years that has stepped up and has been really dominant uh, in the college basketball sphere. You've got great coaches that have come into this league and have turned, uh, turned it around from instead of a, hey, it's Kentucky and everybody else to, hey, Kentucky's also here, but you've got other teams. You've got Auburn, you've got Alabama uh, winning, winning the thing. You've got Texas A&M making charges, Tennessee's in the mix year after year. Uh, Florida's, you know, they, they were pretty good in the mid two thousands with, uh, Donovan and they're trying to make a comeback. So you've, you've got a, a lot of good teams in this conference. And so it, it's going to be a great matchups for, for, uh, the foreseeable future between these two conferences. It is worth noting that, uh, the dynamic really will not change when Texas and Oklahoma enter. There are 15 ACC oh. teams right now in basketball because of Notre Dame's uh, basketball and other I forgot. I always forget about Notre Dame being there. So Louisville is the team that does not have a opponent. Louisville is not participating in this, and then it'll just change in uh, in one year. I guess the dynamic will shift and that it will be one SEC team that will not be able to participate. But uh, still the conference is – uh, the ACC has an odd number just because and, Notre Dame's in there, and you know Louisville, Notre, or Louisville, Notre Dame, Louisville and Kentucky play each other every year anyway in a non-conference, so you still get that. Right, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, again, I, I, I think that what you have uh, or, or your solution makes some sense because of uh, just matching up teams and standings. However, when you were reading what those would have been like, I'd, yeah kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> so it, should, should i keep going <laughs> kentucky <laughs> clemson oh god god uh, you know, I duke just, missouri like that, like that's actually duke, kind of missouri? that's yeah. awful that's uh, disgusting see and that you can have one-off situations like that because teams could have a little better years but as programs you know they're not great and I don't know, man, because I think they did get some things right this year. I think it was like the games four through six or seven that didn't make as much sense. But yeah, like, Ryan, you wouldn't have liked this year's matchup for Auburn. Who would Auburn have had? You know. Oh, Carolina? Yeah. Let's see. Now, Auburn fans would love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's I'm an Auburn matchup. and a North Carolina fan, and I do not like when the two teams play. Yeah. I, I, I've examined what happens when that happens, and I don't like it. And I wouldn't like it either way, too. I, I don't. I don't like trash talk of one of the teams I love. How's that sound? Either way. So I don't like that. But um, I think that, again, to kind of go over some things from yesterday, I like the Duke at Arkansas game. I think that's a great game. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I think it makes sense for Kentucky Miami to play. Miami's had some nice success the last few years. Kentucky usually plays a Carolina or Duke in, uh, in their rotational uh, kind of early season tournaments. So I, I get that part of it. 
And so I certainly understand that. Uh, and then I, I think North Carolina and Tennessee makes a lot of sense. Those are two teams not incredibly far from one another. Tennessee has had some nice basketball success for a while, honestly. Uh, and so I think that one makes a lot of sense. It's it's going down the road with, like, again, the Auburn, Virginia Tech, and uh, Texas A&M, Virginia felt, felt like you should flip that. And I, I know it's really down the line, but, like, Georgia Tech playing Vanderbilt made sense to me way, way more than Vanderbilt playing Boston College. Uh, so, again, there's some things in there, but – uh, I, again, it's it is nitpicky to a degree. Real quickly here, time for Sports Calls Player of the Week. Braves first baseman Matt Olson is Sports Calls Player of the Week. The All-Star hopeful added to his case with a big week, posting a 320 batting average and slugging five homers over six games. During the stretch, Olson hit his 25th home run of the year, moving him into a tie for most in Major League Baseball. He also sits in second for RBIs with 60. The Braves swept the Rockies and Phillies and took two out of three from a strong Cincinnati Reds team to go 5-1 and one over the week and currently lead the NL East by six games over the second-place Marlins. Matt Olson is Sports Calls Player of the Week. Thanks to Brant again for uh, recording that for us. Yeah. And uh, Matt Olson, the player of the week. We don't have time to deep dive into it right now. Hopefully we'll have some time in our number three. But, again, another huge week for Matt Olson. Moving him to the middle of the order as opposed to second has done wonders for him. It's not been bad for Ozzy Albies either. Uh, and, again, Olson, big power surge right now, second in baseball and home runs just because Otani had another big night the other night. But, uh, what can you say about uh, Olsen's power at the plate and trying to get that average a little bit up, too? So uh, we're going to go ahead and go to our end-of-hour break here when we come back. Maybe another word or two on the Braves. Also, again, Sports Calls Report Card, the 2023 Auburn football offseason. It's technically not in preseason yet. Two weeks away when media days gets here. That's kind of like, I don't know, more preseason-ish. But also, at the same time, I've not a whole lot more to do this offseason if you're Auburn. So we're going to kind of... Go ahead and recap the offseason with a report card as we kind of started to do a couple of days ago. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. If you missed anything so far, go back and check out the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever missed Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola 
to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. All right, so in hour number three here, we're going to hit this report card hard. Uh, that's testing the ability for me to speak words. You know that, <laughs> Ryan. I, let me let me interject really sure, quickly. Sure, go for it. Because that you know that's uh, that's that just brought back some PTSD for me for you know high school. It's like Brooks, come in here. We're going to hit this report card hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, and, and so these report cards you did not see before your parents? No, we did. Oh. I did, oh. but I just knew what was coming. Uh. <laughs> Brooks, we need to talk about this. No, we don't. We don't. We it's don't. Okay. I understand. I promise. <laughs> I, know the con- I, know the, I know the severity of my actions, and I promise to do better going forward. Oh, man. Fortunately, I didn't have too many bad report cards, especially especially not in uh, elementary or high school. I. A couple maths late in high school started. Math in high school was awful. Geometry was not for me. Algebra, though, we were all good. We were flirting really? with 100. Yeah, we were flirting with 100. When they started putting the alphabet in there, I just wanted to hit somebody. A, B, Y, M, X plus B. I wanted to hit somebody. Negative B plus or minus 2A. Oh, what's the... Do a quadratic formula. Yeah, the quadratic formula. I'm trying to... Negative B plus or minus 2A. Plus the square root of I can't remember yeah. what the square root, square root is. There's, of a, there's a fraction in there. Completion percentage plus <laughs> yards per attempt. And boom! There's batting the, average plus yeah, OPS. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the math was not for me towards the end. I, I hit a I hit a ceiling. Yeah, I was I thought that I was going to be an all star in the math world, and I ended up just being a role player. I got a couple years in and hit a limit. So hit hit two fifty, got a dozen home <laughs> runs or so. Ew. Um, so we're going to do a report card. It's going to be, hopefully be full of good grades because we're going to have some uh, items here from the 2023 Auburn football offseason. So we started to do this on Tuesday. Brooks was in here. Tom was with me. And we only got through three. Uh, the, we, we had Justin Ferguson on that day, so we didn't get to it as early. And and uh, so we didn't get to the, the full deal. We were pre-gaming for the Thunder Chickens a little bit and, and all of that. So we got some time here. So Brooks and I kind of sit out the first three. We'll just give like a quick, here's what we did here. But here's the six topics again for the report card. First, the coaching staff. Now, that is not the coaching hire of Hugh Freeze. That is everything that was hired after Hugh Freeze. Coordinators, position coaches, et cetera. We're going to just rank the, uh, the coaching staff Auburn hired. High school recruiting, so how well Auburn did to fill out the 23 class and how well they've done so far with, with future classes. Portal recruiting, which obviously just pretends to this past team, and so the last six or seven months of that. Need recognition and execution. That's kind of like um, kind of a summary of those to a degree, like how well did Auburn identify its needs this offseason and how well did they fill those needs just as a total. Uh, also, momentum. So did they create some positive momentum for themselves? How pleased are you with the direction the momentum of the program at this moment. And then also, this is a cute little phrase. I'll explain it. Expectation-changing activity. So, again, some teams, they look to have off-seasons. This is more of a professional thing, but with more roster movement now in, in collegiate sports, it feels like this is becoming more of a thing. How did you reset your expectations for the next year? How much did you do that? Did you really change the formula for your team this year? Did you... 
really feel like you didn't do anything to help it out. So that's kind of what I mean by that. It's basically summarizes all those things that happened in the offseason have led to what in your mind for this team? How much did it change from the start of the offseason to the end offseason? So uh, with that in mind, recapping what Brooks and I said for the first three things with coaching staff, high school recruiting, and portal recruiting, uh, Brooks was going very B-heavy. Uh, in the B minus to B plus range for all three. I like honey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I do too. Uh, but in the context of this, uh, with coaching staff, basically, or I, 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 for the record, also went in the B B B plus area for coaching staff and high school recruiting. The one difference that we all had uh, was with portal recruiting which we'll explain in a second. But we were going in the B range for coaching staff and high school recruiting just due to, okay, 16th, 17th for the 2023 class. That's probably more of a C or C-plus overall for what Auburn expects and that sort of thing. But given that it had been so far below that, uh, that I think that you got to give it an extra grade there because uh, it was a, a, a pretty big chasm from where they were when Freeze took over to where they got, and then also the the building blocks that they have for the future classes are looking pretty decent. So that was part of it there for the Bs. Uh, and then the coaching staff, again, coordinators that you, we can talk ourselves into, but maybe not home run hires. Definitely some position coaches that, uh, because of the Auburn ties, feel good stories, that sort of thing. Uh, so, again, a solid coaching staff. But, again, not like a, oh, my gosh, they've just pulled a coup and got this guy, that sort of thing. And then the portal recruiting, our difference was uh, Tom and Brooks were kind of talking about, okay, well, you know, they got some good guys, but I don't know if they just shook anyone uh, and, and really just like, whoa, wow, they got this guy and that sort of thing. And I, the, so they gave him Bs. I gave him an A, though, because I felt like, well, you got a quarterback that you expect to start. You got about five to six starters on each side of the ball. Like about half your team is going to end up starting that was in the portal. That's a lot. You're ranked second or third, really, by everybody in your portal rankings. And the only team you're behind was Colorado in some instances, who had like 5 million players. So I felt like, what else would you have done? That Because, again, I know that a Caleb Williams transferred two years ago, but Caleb Williams wasn't out there this year. And, and so there were some portal quarterbacks, but... Uh, you know, Auburn got one of the best ones. Honestly, I, I don't know many that other. You know, Devin Leary would have been high up there. Uh, McCall never came out of Coastal, and so like I think they did a good job there. And I think ultimately, it it probably not to give away the 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 last item on our our deal here, the expectation changing activity. I think it changed their ceiling a little bit. I think we've all talked about that. I don't know how many teams can just go actively say, yeah, I think they could do one to two wins better based off the guys they got in the portal. I don't think there's a lot of cases like that. So that's why we differed there. So with all that in mind, Brent, through these three categories, kind of how would you, uh, in so many words, kind of go through these three and and grade out Auburn? Yeah, when I look at coaching staff, I'm kind of with you all. It's a B for me. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just whelmed. I'm whelmed. <laughs> I, you know, keeping Cadillac, easy decision. Was That was a layup, and Freeze hit it. Congratulations. Easy decision. Philip Montgomery and Ron Roberts are two guys that have had some success but also had some not very successful years, so jury's still out. Uh, position coaches are a mixture of guys he brought over from Liberty and former Auburn players. 
no idea how those guys are going to do. I, I have all the faith in the world in Cadillac Williams and Zach Etheridge and Wesley McGriff coming back to yeah. Auburn for his third stint as <laughs> Auburn's secondary Crime coach. Dog. Crime dog. And, and I love those guys, but Ben Agamaya, uh, Josh Aldridge, Marcus Davis, a former Auburn guy, but we, he's never really coached at this level. Uh, Jake Thornton coming over as offensive line coach. These are all guys that, yeah, they may work out, but we really don't know. So it, success and not success in the coordinators – the position coaches you retained in Zach Etheridge, Cadillac Williams, those guys uh, love those decisions. The rest of them are, you know, jury's still out. Uh, what were the other two categories? Yeah, so then high school recruiting and portal recruiting. High school recruiting uh, would normally be a C-plus. Uh, in the time that Freeze had, it bumps up to a B-plus to me, I think, just because, you know, he came over with, what, a, two or three months until signing day. Ha- didn't have much time to get— in the get, 60s. Yeah, yeah, didn't have much time to get anything— rolling so uh came over and did what he could so congratulations you, you did fine there uh portal recruiting I'm with you I think it's an A I, I think portal recruiting is absolutely an A you and we'll get into this you, you talk about addressing needs which we'll get to later and I'll touch on it more there but you've totally rebuilt your offensive line room you've totally rebuilt your wide receiver room you've brought in a quarterback that everybody expects to start uh you've addressed all these needs you, you've added on your defensive line where you were thin I still think linebacker's kind of thin. I still think edge rusher, even though you've brought in two. Uh, I think edge rusher's still a little bit questionable. But uh, in places where you could bring in a lot, where you absolutely had to bring in a ton of guys, you brought in a ton of guys. And like you said, you raised the ceiling a little bit. So I, you, you took this from a six or less win team to a team where seven is kind of the expectation and eight is definitely a possibility. So I, I think with that in mind, uh, I'd give that one an A. Yeah, I think that again, when you look at the portal, they added, and and I don't maybe I shouldn't go too deep into this now. Let's let's go ahead and get into the fourth category: the need recognition and execution. So again, Brant and I are basically at around a B for the first two elements: the coaching staff and high school recruiting. We're at A's for portal recruiting, and then Brooks was at kind of the B to B plus range for all three of those. So as we get into need recognition and execution, so again. Basically what this is meaning is, did Auburn see what they needed? Did they get what they needed? And I think that by most accounts, the answer to this is yes. I'm going to give this an A-, minus. okay? I'm, I'm going to say that it's not an A or A+, plus because at a couple of the positions, they didn't get maybe sure things. They got they got maybe some a, a quantity of guys. They have different options to go with, but maybe they didn't necessarily get the best guys. But I think, again, going back to the – the quarterback element of it, I think when you bring in Peyton Thorne and you look at the other guys that were ultimately available, like, okay, you can maybe pitch me on someone like Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State, but, like, is he going to win the job at Ole Miss? Is he going to beat out Jackson Dart? And if he doesn't, what does that say about what he ultimately is, you know, at that at that point? Um, someone like Devin Leary, okay, that was clearly a target for a little while there, and then he – uh, decides on Kentucky. Okay, you know that's somebody that's clearly on that level, maybe a little above Thorn. Okay, you can sell me on that, but I think Thorn could be third easily in the, in the of all the guys that transfer, unless I'm forgetting someone that that went out west or something like that. Uh, that that is pretty clearly one of the top guys in the portal. Was a part of a great team in Michigan State two years ago that got Mel Tucker exorbitant amount of money. Um, he still individually was fine last year. It wasn't. Uh, incredible, but again, I think that that was a clear need that they got to the best of their ability. Like they, <laughs> it's still not ultimately 
uh, even though it acts like it in some forms. It's not ultimately like, oh, well, Caleb Williams' contract expired again, and <laughs> they could have tried to get him. No, not really. Not <laughs> It's not how that works. So I think they did a good job there. As Brain alluded to, they've got multiple offensive linemen, some of which were highly touted. I think the one deficiency there would, again, be linebacker. They got guys. They have bodies, and so that's why it's not a complete failure there. We just are not thinking that those are some of the high-impact guys. The only position group that they did not add, because, heck, we forget, too, even a tight end like Rivaldo Fairweather. They even went there and, and got someone that, that uh, we feel pretty good about. But the secondary is really the only spot they didn't really hit on much because that's, like, the one spot of their team other than running back that they were really solid on and, and had a bunch of guys playing from last year, added one or two guys late. But they, they didn't need a lot of help there, I didn't feel like. So... Uh, all in all, I think they recognize what they need, offensive line, quarterback, pass rush, and I think they get about an A-minus for fulfilling that because they did get one of the top quarterbacks available. They did get multiple offensive line that I expe- oh, offensive linemen excuse me, that I expect to start. By the way, they got some wide receivers that I think are going to play a lot. Uh, it's just the, the maybe the defensive side of the ball, maybe a few more questions what they actually got there, although they did get a quantity of guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got four offensive linemen, and I expect all four of those guys to start. I, I'd be shocked if – uh, at least three of them did not. And like you said, in the wide receiver room, uh, you flipped that thing upside down. I mean, you you shift a couple There's of guys six out. six foot four guys, yeah. just a galore. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for the record, I'm counting Rivaldo Fairweather in that. I know he's listed okay. as a tight end, but I, I do expect him to be standing up on the edge more than I expect him to be lined up in a three-point stance next to a tackle. Uh, but it, those, those guys are – they're – program elevators i mean they're certainly from where you were there you've gotten an infusion of talent at the areas you most need and like i touched on a minute ago Jalen mcleod and steven sings i i don't know if i trust them to get to the quarterback regularly i don't know if either of those guys are going to have more than five or six sacks uh and i certainly don't know if both of them are going to reach that high but you needed somebody and like you said you brought in bodies at a position where you just needed people you needed people to come in and do the work even if they don't do it at a super high level, and Freeze has talked about it. This is not his final plan, is to continue using the portal like this. He's talked about how uh, this upcoming high school class and the 24 and the 25 high school classes are going to define his career, to use his words, uh, at Auburn. So that's really what he's looking for. But for this year, you're just trying to stay afloat, and those guys are certainly doing the job. And really, I think you brought in some really good offensive linemen. I think Dylan Wade out of Tulsa especially – uh, is going to be a starter at one of those tackle spots, and I, I expect him to be one of the better tackles that Auburn's seen in a while. Yeah, Wade was a, a no-brainer from the Montgomery standpoint, and and one of the higher touted guys, and and need and everything. He kind of checked all the boxes. What what letter grade would you give it? Uh, I, I'm uh, as far as addressing position of need. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say B plus because okay. I don't think you filled out every single hole, but you certainly filled the most pressing ones, and you filled them well. All right, Brooks, what do you got? What was the question again? Oh boy! Um, need recognition and execution. How how did they identify their needs? Yeah. How good of a job did they do in that? And how good of a job did they fill them? I'm going to be more positive here. I'm going to say B plus to an A minus. Um, yeah, that's exactly where we are. I was about yeah. to say we, we both <laughs> yeah. we both had right about there. that. Uh, I thought you said B. 
I said he's B plus. A, he's a no, B plus. I, I said, said A minus. Said yeah. All right. Well, your well, other I'm, grades were B. I'm, so I'm like, more positive than yeah. I, what I used to be when I was <laughs> in the last iteration of this. But uh, B plus to A minus because you know it. It's uh, they they obviously you walked in. You identified what you needed to do, and you know one of the big things that we've uh, talked about on this program since two coaches ago now with Gus Malzahn is the offensive line room. Well, they went out there, and that was one of uh, Hugh Freeze's first big. Uh, big gets was he started loading up on yeah. offensive linemen and it's just like it, he did not leave any stone unturned when it went to when it came to offensive linemen and then you guys talked about the wide receiver room um yeah they got better there and you know you we, you talked about it uh the other day ryan where you were talking about the the list of guys that could have potential to be starting this year uh that it came in from the portal uh, you got several wide receivers that uh, could have a, a immediate impact onto this uh, onto this room because of um, just the lack of uh, dynamic wide receivers that were in that room. Uh, and then at the quarterback position, you didn't know what you had. There, there was still been you know there was still a lot of questions going into spring ball about uh, oh T.J. Finley, Robbie Ashford are are they going to be the guys? Is Holden Gurner going to take those steps forward to get you know you heard a lot of positive things about Holden Gurner at spring ball, but you're like, are we is Auburn really about to trust Holden Gurner to to come up and take the reins after you know a very very limited playing time last year and we haven't seen him you know really play a lot since high school. Well, you went out to the portal and you got uh, a, a pretty decent quarterback who started at a, at a Power 5 school and has had moderate success there at, at Michigan State. And so uh, I think that you went out and, you know, you, you got a guy that – and who knows, you know, you may get into fall camp and Robbie Ashford still may win the battle. You don't know what can happen. Uh, you know, Auburn went out and they got um, uh, Zach Calzada from Texas A&M last year and everyone's like, oh, he's going to win the battle. And then – he got hurt, and we never saw him play again. Like, oh, he can't turn all the way around. Yeah, he, he can't throws. throw a football. <laughs> what, a, what a weird, what a weird storyline Zach Calzada was. And and so you, you know, Robbie Ashford may still win that game, but you went out and you addressed. You said, "Hey, we need someone in the quarterback position. We got to go to the portal." And they were in conversation with not just uh, uh, the not not just who they got, but the the kid from Nebraska, Casey Thompson. Uh, you were you were in conversation with them with him, and there was a chance that he was going to land here. And so you went out, you addressed the needs. Um, that none of them are you know home run. We're gonna you know they're immediately going to make us a, a SEC title contender here. But they did the job. They addressed the needs. They got uh, guys to fill those positions. And now it's up to the coaching staff to uh, bring them along and make sure that they can work in this offense and 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 see what they. Uh, see if they can can help win some football games. So a, B plus, A minus. So all three parties there between a B plus and A minus there for need recognition and executing our execution. I think uh, A plus or A or A plus on the recognition standpoint, maybe yeah. a B or B plus on the execution just from the standpoint of, okay, there's a couple of positions where still very unsure about how that will translate, again, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, certainly they understood. I mean, they <laughs> – uh, Brooks is right. Chronologically, of the transfer portal guys, like three or four of the first five were were portal guys, or excuse me, were offensive line guys that, that they got out of the portal. So now we move on to momentum, and that's that part of it. And so that's again the kind of the first step in starting to summarize everything that's gone on the off season. How pleased are you? What letter grade would you give to the momentum now around the program? Momentum's really confusing to me um, because yes, it's important, and yes, you build on things and. 
Uh, obviously, it's important for recruiting high schoolers and getting more commitments. But my thing with momentum is, yes, you can build momentum all you want, but you know, momentum is only as good as uh, as long as you keep winning games. They don't really give you trophies for uh, for for winning the off season battles. Yeah. So so momentum to me, right now, it's at an A. It is absolutely at an A. Everyone expects Auburn to be really good. Well, what if Auburn starts losing games? You know, yeah. Auburn go, say Auburn go, does what we expect them to do, and they go seven and five. You know, even if high school recruiting continues to go well, a seven and five season is not going to give a lot of promise unless it, suddenly Auburn just ropes in a top five class, and then, you know, it, well, let's look at Texas A and M. They got a top five class. Everybody thought they were going to compete for the SEC championship. They go three and nine, and now we all think that Jimbo's not long for this world. So. <laughs> Momentum is great in the offseason, and you can absolutely use it to your advantage, but it's a very right. fickle thing. Right. It's, it's uh, of this report card, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to be careful, but it's kind of the elective that you have on your <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you it's like, it's like, hey, what class are you going to take either because you're interested or you want to grade? You know, and that sort of thing. And so, like, momentum matters for some, and it doesn't matter for a lot. But I guess the reason I put it on there is, Okay, that is something that every team thinks of in yeah. their off season. Do they do they start to feel good coming into the season? Or they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if they've really figured anything out yet or not. When it comes to around the when it comes to on the football side of things, I think momentum has shifted a little bit in in the positive direction. Not you know, it's not like everybody looks at the football field and is like this team is going to win a national championship this year. Like that's not right. it, it has not right. turned around that much. But I, I still give it an A uh, for momentum because of a combination of two things. On the field, your expectations kind of went from a five and seven, six and six, to now a lot of people are like, well, maybe you can win seven, maybe you can win eight games. There's there's been rumblings out there of, hey, you know, you get the right you know ball bounces here with some of this new talent, maybe you can win nine games. There's there's some of that. I it, it's I know the face you're making, Brant, but there's some you know there, there's I, some. I don't see a path to nine I, for this there's, team. There's there's some projections out there that have it, but like there people have shifted to be like this team can win seven, maybe eight games, right? The majority of people right, think that. Yeah. Well, off the field, you you know the the two the two dynamics. You look at on the field and then off the field. Off the field momentum uh, for the program. Let me let me read you a tweet. Record broken. Jordan Hare Stadium is going to be rocking this fall. Fewer than 300 season tickets remaining. Don't miss your chance. They Auburn football announced they've broken their single season record for for season ticket sales to this year. Yeah, absolutely. That, the momentum off the field is there, and it it is rising. If you've got less than 300 season tickets available for that entire stadium, I know they hold out a few for single game and some and other things, but the the fact that you in a in a year coming off of a losing season where you, uh, you know, a couple games in, people were crying for changes to be made at the head coaching position. <laughs> they were. Going to, coming into this year, you've broken a record for season ticket sales. Momentum is is shooting up for this program on the field and off the field. I'd say it's an A for, for momentum. I mean, you, you, you can't really... You, you can't really take you know do much better than going from from a five and seven to uh, team last year to what they're doing right now. Well, I think we've got triple A then, because uh, I'm also going to go A. Well, we're not broken down. I, I'm sniffing to go around A plus range just because of kind of what you talked about. Where again, this is not saying this actually translates to something real, but just 
when you're kind of aggregating everything from, okay, this program just had two very disappointing years in a row. It was destined to have a horrid recruiting class the previous year. It has now had an at least an acceptable recruiting class or slightly below average recruiting class instead of an abysmal one. It just broke the record for season tickets. Like I think you just mentioned that, Brooks. That is a that's a very good indicator of, of buzz around a program. Again, coming off the heels of having two seasons of which they just had to then break the record for season tickets the next year does not make any sense in a vacuum. Like it just makes none. And so I think quite clearly the momentum is there. As you guys said, will it mean a hill of beans if they start three and four? Yeah. No, it will not. Those, those seats will be yeah. paid for, and they will be empty if things start poorly. Right. Uh, I mean, at least some of them. And so I think that there will be obviously a complete change in the momentum depending on what happens in the field. But for this offseason, the momentum that they built, very high marks. They've done a good job. And – We'll see. Again, it's positive buzz around the program. So with all that in mind, got a couple A's now mixed in with some B's. The expectation changing activity. So again, basically summarizing the offseason, summarizing uh, everything they've done, how much they have added into your expectations for the program from the day the season ended to now, what would you grade the, the amount they've changed your expectations? Uh, regardless of who was hired as head coach, I expected it to be better because I figured they wouldn't uh, hire somebody who was unfamiliar with the situation, uh, who didn't place a total importance on recruiting or at least understand the talent that was needed. And someone br- who bringing brought in, yeah, someone who they brought in uh, would understand that where Auburn's roster is right now is not where it needs to be to be any kind of competitive. So uh, when the season ended, I expected somebody to come in and hit the portal hard, whoever it was. Um, as far as like what they actually did, I, we touched on the offensive lineman bringing in, expect all four of those guys to start three of them, almost certainly, uh, expect those new, expect the three or four new wide receivers, all of them to contribute Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, chief among them, I think, uh, where it gets interesting is Peyton Thorne because Peyton Thorne in a year where Michigan State won 10 games, 11 games, won the Big Ten. He was fantastic, right? And so was so was the rest of Michigan State's offense. The next year, things went very poorly. And, I mean, the fan base certainly turned on him. And he his numbers weren't nearly as good. And he just didn't play very well, which we've talked about it before. Quarterbacks cannot be expected to do well when the supporting cast around them isn't very good. So my question is... Peyton Thorne is now with a team that's probably not as good as that 11-win Michigan State team, but it's probably not as bad as the Michigan State team he was on last year. He's in middle ground, which means he's going to have the ability to truly make an impact, to be the difference. If he turns out to be that difference-making quarterback, it's an A. It's absolutely an A as far as what you change with your expectations. Because if he comes out here and he is a plus-level quarterback, then, you know... I feel like eight wins is guaranteed. If he looks more like the Michigan State last year, the quarterback that we saw last year at Michigan State, then, you know, Auburn could fall to six wins. You know, it's really going to fall on him. So I'm, because I can't decide between A and C based on which Peyton Thorne we don't know we're going to get, I'm going to go with a B and we're going to say it's going to go somewhere at the end of the season and we just have to wait and see which. At the end, at the end of last season, 
it, you've, you told me, you know, you told me to make a prediction uh, where this Auburn football team was going to go before all the moves. Before you know, you you just hired Hugh Freeze. I say I would have said six and six. That's that's what I what I would have said. I still think six and six is a real possibility. I think that's your floor. I think you can. I, th- I think if you're Hugh Freeze, that's what your your floor is is six and six. I think that this team's got the potential to go in and get seven, maybe eight wins. And so I, I think that you've you've got a you know you're you're growing momentum. I, I like the direction that uh, especially recruiting wise that uh, Hugh Freeze put out put on the portal. I would say a B because it hasn't raised that much. Uh, but I'm not going to be disappointed. I, I mean, I'm probably a little disappointed as a, as a, just a fan of the team if you go 500 at six and six. But I know that you know, looking at all the growth that's happening uh, on the recruiting side of things, that you've got a chance to build something here in the next few years uh, if you're Hugh Freeze. So I think a B is my is my grade for it. Uh, just because it, it didn't raise it that much because <clears throat> there's still so much talent, talent in the SEC. You're still facing Georgia. You're still facing Alabama. You're still facing LSU this year. It's, it's, a, it's a big, scary world out there in the SEC, especially the SEC West. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's um, – I, I think there's, there's, room, there's room to grow – there's also room to Hey, that's my bad guys. Phones. That's my that's my bad guys. I, I pressed we? the wrong button on my phone and that led to an absolute disaster. I'm editing that out of the podcast later. Continue, Brooks. <laughs> you see, I'm doing <laughs> But you see, Brant, I'm I'm doing the podcast today. Oh, so I Oh, no. yeah, you are. We it's, went too many minutes in a row without a break. And that's <laughs> that's on me. Do we need a, a please silence your phone sign in here to flash before <laughs> Break. We have one. It's just on the outside of the studio. Yeah. Do we need one in here, Brant? Uh, B. I've lost my train of thought. B. <laughs> you just want a break right now? I totally derailed. It. Please. I need a break right now. All right. Let's go. I to need break. to go jump out into traffic. We'll sum up the. Well. <laughs> don't we'll, do that. Let, let's. Let, no. Yeah. We don't need that. But uh, let's take our final break of the show. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the offseason talk. Give final grade for that. And uh, then we'll get to the TV, TV guide and get out of here. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now, back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call.
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brand Donfrey, Brooks Childress. Everybody's taking a deep breath. This music is music you should be hearing. <laughs> yeah, it's not you. off of Brant's phone. <laughs> so let that fade away. Yeah. I'm going to be laying in bed five years from now, and like that's just going to pop up. Remember as that a time memory. that a video went off <laughs> unintentionally? And yeah, Brooks just forgot that he's supposed to keep having thoughts and. I still don't remember what I was talking about. Well, where my where my thought was going. I remember what I was talking about. We'll give you a little refresher again. Basically summarizing the offseason. Now, we were calling it expectation expectation changing activity. If you just want to refer to it, it's just kind of like this uh, summary of the offseason, how it changes the calculus for Auburn in 2023 and the expectation and that sort of thing. Uh I believe Brant was giving a B for the uh, for the grade. Yeah. I'll B, B. B conditional, whatever else. And uh, Brooks, you gave it a B too. I basically. did. All right. So then I guess you were about done with the with That's, the thought then. Sure. Um, my grade would be a little higher. I'll give it a minus. Um, I don't think there's a lot of teams that change their ceilings by a couple of games in in the off season, or at least there there's some teams that do that, but they're still rare. Because, like, again, I with, like, Ole Miss, what they did in the portal, did it change by two games? Maybe a game? Like, did Arkansas change their destiny a lot? I think the biggest thing for them was that K.J. Jefferson came back. It wasn't really a portal acquisition. It was just somebody coming back to their school. Uh, Alabama, I mean, great. They're not, they're not a great example because they expect to be double-digit wins anyway. But, like, they brought in some another quarterback. Like, did Buckner change them from – 10 wins to 12 wins. I mean, I think they were already probably 11 wins. So, so if you change it to 12, that's rare because they've only gone undefeated once or twice during this whole thing. But again, I don't think it shifted it two games. So I, I think that Auburn changing from an expectation about six wins to seven to eight is still a, uh, a pretty solid change. I think that you know someone like Colorado would have bigger expectations because they just brought in a whole new roster, basically, which could work against them. We talked with that, uh, talked about that with Anthony the other day uh, about okay, well, you know, I think Colorado would have absolutely been patient, will still be patient to a degree, but if you flip fifty players, then all of a sudden it's like it's all your guys almost already, you know, and they're not going to expect them to win big in year one, but they go three and nine, that three and nine or four and eight is a lot different than just. Taking the one and eleven team to four and eight is like, oh, he gained three wins with a lot of the same guys. It's good news, but now it's like, well, it's over half your guys, so that's not a great start. So, anyway, I, I think that I think that Auburn overall had a solid off season. They uh, got a an interesting coaching staff. Again, I'm not going to say it's an elite coaching staff. Could end up being very good, but comfortable with the coaching staff did a respectable job of salvaging the recruiting class, have built good ties in for a potential for a really good 2024. They're still in that 15, 16 range for 2024, which you, you need them to get higher at some point. But if you get the five stars, uh, the two or three guys that they're targeting, if you get two of those three, then you're going to start to change your equation a good bit in the recruiting cycle. And their average per recruit is much closer to around 10th and that sort of thing. So they've got a good shot at doing that ultimately. And then I think that, again, the portal went well for them. They checked a lot of boxes, and they did not stand still. They were very active. They brought in a lot of players. Uh, and, I, again, I think that they 
are not going to create some boom year out of the gates, but I do think they got themselves out of, oh, that's just going to kind of be a uh, a non-fun season. I think there's going to be some fun elements to the season, and they're going to be engaged in some, some important games and, and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of our sports call report card, everyone. No Cs. I think Tom flirted like a C-plus on Tuesday with like the – I want to say coaching staff or high school recruiting, one of the two. It was not portal recruiting. I one was of the coaching two. staff. Coaching staff, he said C plus, B minus kind yeah. of in there, which is probably the, the, the fair thing to look at as a potential C plus candidate. Other than that, though, all Bs and As uh, for this uh, off season, And uh, I think uh, overall doing a, a pretty quality job of everything. Any any final thoughts on, on the off season? I mean, again, we can have more thoughts. It's not like, hey, we're about to go off air for two months, then we'll pick up with the season. <laughs> That's not true. But just any final thoughts from this exercise or kind of the grades or that sort of thing? Yeah, I, like like you said, Tom said a minute ago, if there's anything to pick at, it's this coaching staff. It, it's a lot of former Auburn player. It, the guys that are, were retained, I think, have proven themselves to be pretty good coaches. You brought in Wesley McGriff, but – other than Wesley McGriff, these coaches that were new to Auburn, I don't, I don't know. There's been, they're kind of meh. You know, I, I like, I, like I said earlier, I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm, I'm just whelmed. Um, a lot of these guys coming over from Liberty, uh, and a lot of these guys that have had some success but not a ton. So it's kind of the question of can these guys truly keep up with the expectations that Auburn has and. Like I said, I'm not saying they can't. It just uh, it's it remains to be seen, and with all the hype that was supposedly being generated, you would have liked to have seen it be a little bit better. I think. All right, so just a minute or two left in the show at this juncture. Time for what we do to end each and every show at Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we got? Well, we'll start out in the movie world. 7 o'clock on AMC tonight. It is the uh, acapella extraordinary movie Pitch Perfect. 7 o'clock AMC. Follow that up. The day up. after a perfect game. Yeah, mm. he pitched perfectly. Uh, 7 o'clock on FX tonight. Your Marvel fix for the evening, Ant-Man and the Wasp, if you are so inclined to get your uh, superhero fix on. And those are your two movie picks for the evening. A lot of sports on tonight, but it's uh, it's different sports. It's not your traditional you know, football, basketball. Starting at 6 o'clock on TNT, also on True TV. It's Capital One's The Match. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, tee it off against Stephen Curry. And Clay Thompson in the eighth edition of Capital One's The Match. I made my jersey Thursday make sense. You made he made his jersey <laughs> Thursday make sense. Uh, six o'clock on ESPN. The MLB All Star starters are revealed, so make sure you tune into that. See how many Braves get in the lineup. Uh, Six thirty on FS1. Concacaf Gold Cup action as Group B, uh, second round of Group B gets underway. Qatar takes on Honduras, then follow that up at nine o'clock by Haiti versus Mexico. And then tonight as well, you can t- catch some. 2023 World Lacrosse Men's Championship semifinals at 7 o'clock on ESPN DOS. And then, of course, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. You got some high school baseball if you're into some more baseball action. Braves are off tonight, so the uh, the sports offerings, a little different, but there's something hopefully for everybody on that list. And that is a look 
at United TV Guide, brought to you by friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and thank you for being here on the show today. I hope you have a great long weekend, sir. I'll do my best. And uh, come back in one piece and uh, have a great 4th of July. I will come back refreshed and ready to tackle the second half of next week with a fury unknown to mankind. What? That seems formidable. Yeah. He's going to be a force on the show. What are you talking about? He's just going to be an absolute unit on the show next week. That's what he's going to be. I don't know. We're almost out of time, though. So, Brant, I hope you have a great day, and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you for having me. Swag surf responsibly. (laughs) Goodness gracious. That will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in and joined the madness today. For Brant Dontry and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk again tomorrow.